Well, uh, Pastor Charlie looks a little different this Sunday. <laughs> uh, so again, I'm Dave Manfred, and uh, it's just been a joy to be here at Point Way last night. And then uh, I was joined by my wife. You kind of missed out because she's definitely the better half of the clan, but uh, she's speaking in Onamia this morning, and uh, I'm just glad to be with you. And one of the things I enjoy, you can kind of, you know, we visit a lot of churches through the year as we're uh, talking about God's work in Cambodia, but you kind of get a sense of a, of a church's heart for the nations. And I just want to say here at Point Way, you know, Acts reminds us, or they call us from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And I'm excited by what I hear about what you're doing in your Jerusalem and partnering with others to help uh, you know, crisis pregnancy issues and Teen Challenge and some of the other things, uh, how you're trying to connect with your community and uh, love to see, you know, uh, your heart and to be a blessing in this part of the world. But you're not satisfied just to be a blessing in Brainerd and Baxter. You have a heart for Judea, Samaria, and uh, today we're going to talk about one of those ends of the earth places. Uh, Cambodia is pretty much the ends of the earth from uh, Brum Brainerd. Uh, it's 12 hours difference in terms of time, so we're literally on the other side of the planet. That is the ends of the earth from, uh, from Minnesota. And uh, it's a place where my wife and I have been serving for the past 26 years as missionaries with the Alliance. Let's see if this is going to cooperate here. <laughs> there it is. First, a little bit about our family. Uh, we uh, uh, just are experiencing the joy of being empty nesters here the past year. We have four kids, uh, we, and we got uh, two daughter-in-laws, one son-in-law, three grandkids, and one that is in the picture. I think he's going to become a son-in-law pretty soon as well. So uh, that's, uh, that's our clan. And as mentioned, we are serving in the land of Cambodia. Sorry. Okay, no worries. <laughs> So uh, Cambodia is, in, as you mentioned, mentioned before, in Southeast Asia. It's a country of about 17 million people, a little larger than the state of Wisconsin. Uh, almost everyone there is Buddhist, but they mix Buddhism in with something called animism, which is a, a belief and fear of the spirits. Uh, so it's a country that, uh, as I said, we've been there for 26 years. And as we have served in Cambodia, it's really been... Uh, uh, a joy for us to see the Lord build the church. Actually, the Alliance was the pioneer mission agency to bring the gospel to Cambodia, starting in 1923. And uh, there were missionaries from the Alliance. Actually, the Alliance was the only Protestant group working in Cambodia for about the first 50 years. And, and they were faithfully, sent a lot of missionaries faithfully serving in Cambodia. Sorry, that's, uh, that's, a part, that's the one from uh, yesterday. So if you pick the one that says Dave Aitken, years of mission of the PowerPoint, thank you. Uh, so the, the church, 50 years of missionary effort, and after 50 years, there were only about 1,000 believers in all of Cambodia. And it was, Cambodia was considered uh, by the Alliance as being even a more challenging country than a lot of the Muslim lands. The work was so slow. 1970, as the... Uh, <laughs> Let's see, we're almost there. 1970, as the uh, Vietnam War began to spill over into Cambodia, there was uh, a fresh openness to the gospel. And the church went from 1,000 believers in 1970 to 1975, the church grew to 10,000 believers. And there was this, finally the sense, after all these decades, finally the harvest had come to Cambodia. 
But then from 1975 to 1979, the church went from 10,000 down to 2,000. What happened in that three and a half year period? Well, what happened was this extreme Marxist group called the Khmer Rouge. And the Khmer Rouge were uh, responsible for what is known around the world as the killing fields. They were this extreme Marxist group and had this extreme view of, of communism that they brought into Cambodia. And in three and a half years, about 1.7 million Cambodians died. That was one out of every five Cambodians. But for that small, the small Christian church of 10,000 believers, it was four out of five died in three and a half years. The church experienced 80% martyrdom in that short three and a half year period. Here we go. Okay, we're getting caught up here. Good. So, uh, so here we are, 2000, Khmer Rouge, they particularly targeted educated people, and four out of five Cambodians died. The ancient church father, Tertullian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And indeed, that's what we saw happen in Cambodia, because in 1979, as Cambodians began to flee uh, Cambodia into refugee camps, experiencing the horrors of services was there, along with other Christian organizations, they began to hear the gospel after experiencing the horrors of the Khmer Rouge. And over the next 15 years or so, the church grew by 10 times. Uh, the Lord replaced the harvest and doubled it from what had been lost during the Khmer Rouge season. And then to continue what has gone on, we need to change the scale by a factor of 10 on the left side. Still the same 20,000 believers in 1995. To the glory of God, the church has grown to 300,000 believers today. So to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. And, and so... Uh, a few years ago, Christi Christianity Today talked about how the church had grown in Cambodia. In 1993, it was ill to be a Christian in Cambodia. And in, from that, those humble beginnings, the Lord has built his kingdom in amazing ways. And, you know, I really believe that uh, in the harvest that we've seen, God is honoring the faithful service of those missionaries that served for decades and never saw the fruit. The Alliance is working in a lot of places that are like that right now where they're sowing hard, hard soil. But God saw that work. And in his time, he brought the harvest. God is honoring the, the sacrifice of Cambodian Christians that literally gave their lives for Christ during that time. So we're standing on incredibly broad shoulders in the work of the kingdom in Cambodia. 300,000, that's encouraging, but that's still less than one out of 50 Cambodians who know Jesus. And so there is still a lot of need, a lot of opportunities, a lot of work to do. Well, around the world, or around the U.S., I should say, kind of the theme of missions is, they say, all of Jesus for all the world. And I'd like to kind of look at that by looking at the CMA logo, and then also kind of seeing how that's worked out through some stories in Cambodia. And so in the Alliance, we talk about something called the fourfold gospel, and it starts out as Christ our Savior, kind of the center part of the logo, and, uh, and of course, in Acts 4.12, a familiar text, we read, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, this is not politically correct, but it's biblically true. There is no way to God the Father except through Jesus Christ and trusting in Him as your Savior. And, uh, and if we really take that message seriously, we'll take the task seriously to share that news not only to our community to the peoples who've never had opportunity 
to hear that, that good news, that uh, there is a Savior. For me personally, I, I, I figured that out when I was about 19 years old. And I had grown up in the church. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I never really trusted in Jesus personally to be my Savior. I fell down and I went out to a camp after hearing some speakers alone in the woods and just kneeled down and I said, Jesus, I know I've messed up my life. I ask you to forgive me based on what you've done on the cross. I believe you also raised from the dead and are alive right now. And I trust you to be my Savior. I trust you've made that decision here. But maybe there's somebody who hasn't yet. And if you haven't, I would really encourage you to take that step of faith and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Not to just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. And to start a relationship with him as your Savior. Uh, Cambodia, my wife Chris, has done a lot of work with construction projects. This last term, we had this huge project in, uh, to build a Bible school. Four stories tall, 100 feet by 80 feet, big, big building. And it was Chris's responsibility to oversee all the construction workers. And one of the construction workers that she worked with on this project is a man by the name of Brasau. Brasau was a man who actually has done a lot of work with us in construction over the years probably over the past 10 years in other construction projects. He's a good, hard worker. He does quality work, but he's not a believer. But Chris is pretty bold. It shows she'd always talk to him about Christ. But he would kind of laugh it off and not be that serious about it until about three years ago. And uh, just God worked through some things that Chris said and commitment to ask other Christians that were speaking into his life. And Brasau decided to make that commitment to ask Jesus to be his Savior. And it was just a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, and sometimes people come to Christ quickly. A lot of times it takes a long time. Brasal was, it was about seven years of hearing the gospel before he'd finally made that commitment to Christ. But then it wasn't just that he made a commitment to Jesus as his Savior. Kind of the second step in the Alliance logo is Christ our sanctifier. And they kind of have this cup of water to, to signify that it's the, the, the cleansing that God does to make us holy. And this is not us working hard to become holy, but it's what Jesus does in us to help us to grow in being holy, being obedient to what God does. And as I try and explain what this means to our Cambodian Bible school students, for me, the easiest way to understand it is that, you know, the first step is Jesus is my Savior. But then the second step that's absolutely critical is, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be the boss of my life. Instead of me taking the steering wheel, I asked Jesus, you to take my steering wheel and, and to submit myself to his lordship. And as that step happens in our life, God, by his Holy Spirit, helps us to grow in obeying him, to grow in following him, to grow in doing what the Lord wants us to do in our life. And that's kind of what this idea of Jesus is sanctifier. And it's not us hard working trying to do it, but it's God's spirit just kind of flowing through our lives and helping us to grow in these areas. First uh, Corinthians talks about you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're saved. You, you, you know Jesus the Savior who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption. It's Jesus who does this work to make us right with God, to sanctify us, to make us holy, and to redeem us through his work on the cross. Brasal, the man who came to Christ, Jesus is Savior. Well, he also began to grow in Jesus is my sanctifier. And one of the first steps was he became he was baptized as a believer in Christ. And, and after he was baptized, he, uh, 
we got, decided to get together once a week, Tuesday morning, 6.30, to study the Bible together with a few other men. And uh, it was so exciting to watch him, just the light bulbs turn on as he was studying God's Word and as God began to work in his heart and life. And he has this amazing gift of evangelism. He's just uh, brutally bold and uh, loves to talk about Christ with others. And uh, was sharing his, uh, you know, how much Christ had made a difference in his heart and life. And uh, we, we saw the work of sanctification in his life as well. When there was a man who uh, had had some mental issues, he'd been in prison for a while, and he was uh, struggling with some issues with alcohol, and the family didn't know what to do because they don't have kind of a lot of institutions to help people like that. And so the family just locked him up in his room for years. And Brissau heard about this guy, and he said, well, why don't you come with me, and I'll teach him construction, and uh, he can live at my house, and I'll kind of just help him along the way. I mean, that's not a thing a normal person would do, but a, G a person where Jesus is Lord and starts growing in love for others, God just opened his heart to want to do that, and he came alongside this man in just beautiful ways. Uh, when, as COVID hit, there was a lot of areas in Cambodia, the lockdowns were really hard, and one of the areas is nearby where Brasal lived. And this was a neighbor lady's house. It's a widow. That's her house. And uh, because the lockdown was so severe, they didn't allow people even to go out and get food. And Brasal had some food in his house, and he saw his neighbor lady, and what does he do? He gives his food to her. That's Jesus at work, and a person who's understanding that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is my sanctifier and loving my neighbors myself. And, and, uh, and then, the, to me, the clearest sign of God's work of sanctification in your, in your life is, what does your spouse think about it? <laughs> Brasal's wife is not yet a believer. She's heard the gospel. She's afraid of what her family will say or do, so she's not yet made that commitment. We're praying that, and I think she actually is getting pretty close but the thing that stood out to me and my wife, Chris, as we talked with her was her, just her comment that since he's come to know Jesus, he's a different man. And uh, she talked about how he actually helps her around the house. He never used to do that. Uh, how he has been loving and gracious. And she has seen the difference that Christ has made in his life in a profound way. That's evidence of the work of the Spirit. Christ is a sanctifier. The third point in the Alliance logo is Christ our healer, the, kind of this picture of sometimes five. It's understood. Uh, we read about the practical application of this in James 5, uh, where the, the invitation, if we're sick, to go to the elders and to anoint with oil and to, to pray. And uh, you know, I didn't grow up in the Alliance, uh, but when we were looking kind of for a denominational home when I was at seminary, uh, we had... A, um, as we got to know the CMA statement of faith, this really stood out to me. Because what it said to me was that the, in the Alliance, we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And God, you know, we, God uses medicine, he uses hospitals, doctors. We are th very thankful for that. But sometimes God can still break in and do this miraculous work. And, uh, and uh, Christ is our healer. And, um, and, there's a place in northern Cambodia called Anlong Vang, kind of near the border with Thailand. And uh, in Anlong Vang, it's an infamous place in Cambodia because the leader of the Khmer Rouge was a guy by the name of Pol Pot. 
And uh, he was that guy that was in charge when 1.7 million people died. Uh, he could honestly be called the Hitler of Southeast Asia. And Anlong Vang is the place where he died. And this was kind of like the final holdout of the Khmer Rouge. So in other words, the hardcore, the hardcore Khmer Rouge, Anlong Vang was where they finally ended up. And, and uh, Pol Pot died. Uh, there was an amnesty given by the government. So a lot of those hardcore Khmer Rouge still live in Anlong Vang. If there was ever a place on the planet you could honestly call the heart of darkness, it was Anlong Vang. And um, we have a, an experienced missionary couple, Sut and Sina Lao. They're really good friends of ours. We arrived in Cambodia the same year, 1995. And, and uh, my role in the field, I'm the field director, kind of overseeing the team. And one of the things that involves is that when missionaries, after they go on home assignment, where will they return to serve in Cambodia? And we had, uh, they, in uh, 2016, we had planned as they were leaving Cambodia to go to the U.S., that they would go to work in a certain area of Cambodia, a new area. And then kind of halfway through the year, uh, we began hearing some rumblings from our Cambodian church pastors and some others that maybe there was something that God was doing in Anlong Vang. And I called Suat Sina, or probably a Skype call or something, uh, and, uh, and, and just said to them, hey, there are these things that are happening in Anlong Vang. Would you be at all open to considering serving there instead of the place we had originally thought? And, uh, and, and they kind of, it was kind of quiet. And, uh, and they said, well, let us pray about it for a few days. And of course. And so a few days later, we contact them again, and they said, you know, if you and the team are really sensing that we should be going to Anlong Vang, we're willing to do that. And they knew, they knew exactly what they were, what they would be facing. Well, little did we know that God was beginning to do a work that, uh, that um, we didn't even know about at that time to prepare the soil in this heart of darkness, this place called Anlong Vang. We have a, a church, an alliance church, about an hour south of Anlong Vang, and uh, a faithful pastor, Pastor D, that serves in this little church, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but faithfully loves the Lord, serves the Lord. And, and um, there was a woman that kind of came from a, another village. It's kind of between Anlong Vang and between this church. And that woman heard the gospel in this church, and she decided to follow Christ, became a Christian. And her husband, whose name was Mr. Kong, uh, Mr. Kong was kind of been a, an alcoholic, pretty, uh, pretty evil and wicked man, actually, in the community. And, uh, and he was not really excited about his wife becoming a Christian, but, you know, he's kind of curious as well. So he went with her a couple of times to the Pastor D's church to hear, and, but didn't make any commitment to Christ, kind of a stubborn old guy, you know. But uh, he was starting to hear and starting to consider and then uh, there was a day when Mr. Kong and their seven-year-old son went into this uh, kind of a, it's like a big kiln, a big oven, where they make, uh, they, they make charcoal. That was kind of one of the ways they made a living, was to, to make charcoal. And it's this big brick oven with dirt on the outside. And while Mr. Kong and his seven-year-old son were inside that, that kiln, if you will, it collapsed on top of them. And the wife cried out, Jesus, save them. 
And usually when they start pulling every, all the stuff off of him and the neighbors came to try and get him out. And usually when this happens, I mean, people just don't survive. It's that heavy when it falls on top of them. And, and miraculously, they got to the seven-year-old boy and he just had a few small scratches, nothing serious. But then they got to Mr. Kong. And when they got to Mr. Kong, and I'm sorry, this is a little bit graphic, but there was internal bleeding. He was coughing out blood. And what was most, I guess, horrendous was his eyeball, his right eye had come out of its socket and was hanging by the optic nerve on his cheek, the eyeball. And uh, so they, they took Mr. Kong to the local clinic there, and the medical care in this area is horrible. And the clinic looked at him and said, we don't know what to do. You know, go to another clinic. So they took him to another clinic, and uh, they said the same thing. We don't know what to do. Bring him to another clinic. And, uh, and so they went to four clinics. None of them said they could do anything. And then Mr. Kong said, bring me to that church. Whether I live or die, I want to be at that church. And so they got him on the back of a motorcycle and they took him, eyeball dangling, to this church and they met Pastor D. And Pastor D saw Mr. Kong and he said, take him to the clinic. <laughs> but Mr. Kong said, no. Whether I live or die, I want to be at this church. There were and so Pastor D took his hands as he told me the story and there were, there were multiple people there as this was happening took his hands, he said they were shaking, and he put them on his shoulders, and began praying to, for Mr. Kong. And within 10 minutes, the eyeball went back in place, and Mr. Kong could see fine. He said he coughed out blood. At first, it was coming out the size of his thumb. Then it came out half the size of his thumb. Then it came out about half the size of his pinky. And then the, he coughed out no more blood. The, the internal bleeding had stopped. That day, Mr. Kong became a believer in Jesus. Jesus is his healer. This is him, Mr. Kong, his seven-year-old boy and his wife. And as Mr. Kong had this amazing experience of God's healing touch, he began to talk to his neighbors in his community. First, he went to the clinics to show them, and they couldn't believe what had happened. Then he went to the neighbors in the community and told them what Jesus had done and uh, to, to, they need to believe in this Jesus. And, uh, and so out of that, a number of people began coming to Christ through his testimony, starting in his own village. And Mr. Kong had nine brothers and sisters that lived in other villages. And he began telling his family about what Jesus had done for him. And then there were groups of people that said, well, we want to believe in Jesus too. And it was right at that time that our missionaries, Suat Sina Lao, arrived. And these people, so these, there were these groups of believers in these villages, and they kind of said to Suat Sina, our missionaries, they said, we believe in Jesus, what does that mean? And so they began discipleship classes, teaching them from the scriptures, and, and they began to grow in their faith. And, and, uh, and then after that, uh, as these groups continued to, to grow, just sharing the story of Jesus, and the Lord began touching other hearts and lives as well, uh, then there, the baptism started. As people who had become followers of Christ said, we want to, to really follow Jesus and to, uh, to be baptized in his name uh, in these, some of these different communities. And the Lord began to build his church in the heart of darkness in ways that were way beyond anything we would have thought or even imagined. There is a, a, a really, if you have a chance, there's a really cool video 
Really well done by the Alliance. It's called Out of the Ashes, Alliance Missions Cambodia. If you do a web search, you'll find it. And it's this, this story. It's about five minutes long, but it's really worth seeing, kind of, kind of for yourself. But the thing, at, at the end of the video, this is done in 2019, it talks about there are 130 people that trusted in Christ and 12 house churches that were planted. And that was pre-COVID, right? And then COVID hit. And since COVID, up to today, it's now over 1,000 people have come to trust in Christ in and around Anlong Vang, and there are 23 house churches that have been planted. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves to bring light into dark places. And Anlong Vang is the darkest of the dark. What a privilege it is to see him work outside of our boxes to see that people would come to know him, even in a place like Anlong Vang. The fourth point in our Alliance logo is Christ our coming King. In Acts 1, the angels were talking to the disciples and he said, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's not going to be a mystery when Jesus returns. It's going to be obvious. And, and, but as we consider Jesus will return, you know, there's a question a lot of people ask. Wow, that's been 2,000 years. What's up, Lord? Why, why haven't you shown up yet? Well, I actually think there's kind of another part of our logo, and this is this kind of... this picture of the world, but it's not the full world, and it's symbolic that the call of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth is not finished yet. And Jesus actually ties those two ideas together. And uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And a lot of people think, well, haven't we done that? There are like 220 countries in the world, haven't we done that? But that's not what that verse means. Because the word nations is the word ethne in the Greek language. What does ethne sound like? Ethnic. The word nations really means Jesus is calling us not to go to all the countries of the world. He's calling us to go to all the ethnic groups of the world. Those who study such things. Anyone know how many ethnic groups they estimate are in the world today? Sure, 17,000. Different languages, different cultures, different peoples. Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9 says that someday in heaven there will be people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. Ethne, same word. Jesus in his great commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all ethne, all ethnic groups, and then the end will come. I would submit to you, according to what Jesus says, that he says when we finish the work of the gospel, going to all the ethne, then the end will come. Why hasn't Jesus returned? I believe Jesus answers this question because he's not completed the task that he's given us to go to all the nations of the world. What's the situation on the planet? About 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, there are people that have access to the gospel. Now you might say, well, there are a lot of non-Christians in the United States. That's absolutely true. But they have access to the gospel. They could have Christian radio. There are maybe churches in the community. Maybe they have friends or neighbors who are believers. They have access to the gospel. But there are about 4,000 people groups that have little or no access to the gospel because there aren't Christians there yet. They have to have somebody come from another culture outside to bring them the gospel. And that is the call of missions. 
to go to the people and places. This is how the, the world looks. The red areas are the parts that have the least access to the gospel. There's not a critical mass of Christians in those ethnic groups so they can probably hear about the gospel in their own language from people in their own culture. And so of this, uh, sometimes this area is kind of called a 1040 window. It means 10 to 40 degrees north latitude, eastern hemisphere. But what it really is, it's the, it's the Muslims of North Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia. It's the Hindus of India. It's the Buddhists in many parts of, uh, of Asia, typically. These are the least reached places in the world, the places where there's very little access. Now, here's something that actually kind of makes... I don't want to say my blood boil, but it makes me uh, a little frustrated. Of all the missionaries in the world, only 10% of missionaries are working in those red areas. 10%, 90% are working in areas where people have greater access to the gospel. But only 10% are working. And why is that? Well, these are hard places. A lot of times it's illegal to be, you can't be a missionary there. Uh, If you want to go there, you can't go in as a missionary. You have to go in as maybe a doctor or a teacher or a nurse or uh, some kind of professional to get into those places. It's, those are, they're oftentimes they're hard places. They're antagonistic to Christianity, or so we think. And so these are not the places where most missionaries go today. Here's one of the few, and these are the places that need missionaries the most. But here's one of the reasons why I'm thankful to be a part of the Alliance. Because in the Alliance, 80%, 80% of our workers are going to those red areas right now. As your support in prayer and giving to the Great Commission Fund, you are actively committing to bring the gospel to the least reached places on the planet. And so I'm really thankful. I didn't, wasn't born in the Alliance, but I'm thankful to be a part of the Alliance. I, Chris and I support the Great Commission Fund ourselves personally just because we're really thankful that we're committed particularly to going the places where people have the least opportunity. And thanks for being an Alliance Church uh, as, uh, as, that's committed to missions and committed to, uh, I know through your giving, generally and personally to see the good news of Jesus going to least reached places. This is our Alliance Missions Cambodia field, about 40 missionaries. On behalf of our Alliance missionary team, I'd like to say to you, Okun Chiran, thank you very much for partnering with the work of the Alliance around the world and even in our part of the world, Cambodia. We partner closely with what's called the Khmer Evangelical Church. That's the name of the Alliance in Cambodia. Our goal as missionaries is not to be there forever, to work ourselves out of a job, raise up Cambodian Christians that will be strong and be able to carry on the work there. Just to be aware, currently, right now, there are 44 ethnic groups, 44 ethnos in Cambodia. We have direct ministry with 11 of those 44 with our Alliance Missions team. The ones in yellow are considered unreached people groups. And just kind of an interesting thing, this one called the Krao, the first Christian ever came to Christ uh, amongst the Krao just six years ago through some of our Alliance missionaries and church partners. And, uh, And so just, you know, how cool is it to have an ethnic group that's never had a Christian before and have the first person, and I kind of have this idea that guy like, oh, looking for all the ethnos of the world to come to Christ, and he's got this long list, and then it was kind of like, oh, the canal just got checked off. There is a, there is a believer in that group, because Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9 says there will be crow in heaven. There will be people from all these places, all these ethnic groups. 
but our call is to faithfully bring the gospel to them. I'd like to talk to you about a place called Stung Trang. Stung Trang, as you can see, is in northern Cambodia, kind of the border with Laos, right? It's on the, the, uh, where the Mekong River comes down from the north. There's another big river called the Sekong River that connects. That's right at Stung Trang. It's, a, it's not a big It's a provincial capital. It's not a big city. It's about 40,000. I guess, uh, I think Brainerd Baxter put them together. It's maybe about 20,000. So kind of think about something Brainerd Baxter size and double it. That would be about the size of Stung Trang. But what makes Stung Trang significant is that there is a regional teacher's college in the city where people who want to become teachers, uh, if you're in this region, you go to Stung Trang to study how to become a teacher. It's a government school, it's a government program, but that's where the teacher college is. And in addition to that, there is this big nursing school. And so uh, they don't have hardly any doctors in Cambodia, but if you want to become a nurse in kind of that region of Cambodia, then that's the place, Stung Trang is the place you go. So there's a lot of kind of university, college student age people that want to be nurses or teachers that are living in Stung Trang. And the other thing I want you to see about, so they, kind of their, the area they draw from, these are the specific areas that if you live in that area, you want to become a, a nurse or you want to become a teacher, uh, this is where you go. You go to Stung Trang. And so I want to show you one other map, though, that's actually even more significant. And this map, this is how I think God sees Cambodia, because this is a map that shows the locations of the different ethnic groups in Cambodia. Take a look. These are the different ethnic groups. Each one represents a different language, a different culture, different colors, uh, different ethnic group, different ethnos in that part of Cambodia. What stands out to you? Where are most of the ethnic groups in Cambodia? It's the same place, that same area. And a lot of these are unreached people groups. So all the teachers, all the nurses that are coming from these areas, these unreached people groups, they all study in Stung Treng. And in 2015, we have an experienced missionary. Her name is Joyce Johns. She has her master's in public health. She's been working with Cambodians for more than 30 years. Uh, she always goes to the hard pioneer places. And in 2015, we asked Joyce, Joyce, would you go to pioneer the work in Stung Treng? Because it was an area that had almost no churches at all up in Stung Treng. And because of her background with nursing, we actually asked her to work with the nursing college and the, the, they were in agreement. They wanted her to become a teacher at the college. And so she began to teach and train. And, and uh, if you, I don't know if any of you have any medical background, but if you knew the, the, the incredibly low level of what was going on there, Joyce helped to bring it up, you know, a couple of notches very significantly because, you know, if you're starting from almost zero, kind of anything is, is, is a major improvement. And Joyce really began to make a difference in the lives of nursing students and actually some of them coming to Christ and, and being able to disciple them as well uh, through the, the nursing college. And then Joyce also got connected with the teacher's college and she began to have an influence in that, in that place as well, even though she wasn't officially teaching there. So really began the pioneer work up in Stung Treng. And now this is our Stung Treng team six years later. We have Cecilia, who's from CMA Philippines, who's teaching English to, uh, to uh, uh, students at the, the nurse, I'm sorry, at the teacher college. 
Cameron, who is a short-termer for a couple of years, has come teaching English to students at the nursing college. The farmers who came to work with an ethnic group called the Lao, and uh, so he's been learning the Lao language, and there's been pioneer work that's done with ethnic Lao. And Brooke, who is actually a teacher, the farmers have a whole bunch of kids, and there's some other missionaries from other groups that have kids up there, and Brooke helps, is, a, is like a homeschool teacher to help out with those kids. So that's our Stung Trang team that we've been able to, to grow. And, and, you know, there's been, there's been some progress. And, um, but then the other thing I want to mention is that in this area of Cambodia, up in the northeast, the medical care there is horrendous. And half of our team, kind of go, I'm sorry, go back here for a second. Half of our team lives in these areas because there's so many unreached people groups. 40 in our team, 20 of them are living in these areas. And there's always medical issues that come up. And as those medical issues come up, locally, for if there's anything that's at all complicated, and by at all complicated, I mean like a badly broken bone, uh, uh, you know, anything that we would consider fairly basic, uh, they just, there's no way to help people there medically. So what they end up doing is they send them down to Phnom Penh, which is about a nine-hour drive away, and, uh, and it's hard because... You know, they don't have a system to help people that are poor. So a lot of people just don't go. They just don't get medical care. A lot of people die because of the lack of decent medical care uh, around. And so it was very interesting. In January of this year, there was there's a medical doctor who works with the nursing school. He's a Cambodian, MD. And he went to Phnom Penh, and he saw a Christian clinic that was in Phnom Penh. And he, uh, he came back and he said to Joyce, we need a Christian clinic in Stung Treng. He's not a Christian. He said, we need a Christian clinic in Stung Treng. And so Joyce was kind of intrigued and she shared with our team. And we said, wow, this is something we should really talk about, pray about. And so we said, well, talk to the director of the school, see what he thinks. And talk to the director of the school. Would you be at all open to having a Christian clinic working with the nursing school, a place where you could train the nurses, but would be really staffed by Christians to help, you know, instill not just good medical care, but actually the heart of love for the people in the community. And the director of the school said, yeah, we'd be open to that. And so that began, began us on a journey uh, as, a, as a field. And what we are actually praying for is that in January of 2023, we'd be able to open a Christian clinic in Stung Treng. By God's grace, the funding is all there. It's already there. <laughs> I mean, usually it's hard to raise funds. This, the funding was already there. A quarter of a million dollars is there right now to do this project. But what's lacking is we need an MD. We need at least one or two nurses to be willing to commit two to 20 years to help get this thing off the ground. Working with Joyce. Joyce is older, right? She's 65. She's Trusting that she'll have another good five years in her to serve, maybe longer, who knows. But we're going to need somebody that, to replace Joyce. We're going to need somebody that will come alongside and help to get this off the ground. And again, remembering, why is this strategic? All the teachers, all the nurses in that area with unreached people groups have to go to Stung Trang to study. The, the medical needs in that area, they're the, the, it's the roughest place in all of Cambodia for meeting medical needs. To bring that kind of light, not only into Stung Treng, but actually in the region, 
because that would become actually a hub for the kind of medical care, caring medical care, and actually helping Cambodian nurses to understand what quality medical care is through hands-on experience. Would you pray with us specifically for this need, for a doctor, a couple of nurses that God would raise up? Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, to raise up labors in the harvest field. These are a couple of need. That's Cambodia. There are other parts of the world that have other needs as well. But uh, would you pray with us that in the next year that we'd be able to uh, see the people that God has raised up to come alongside in that work? Well, all of Jesus for all the world. How can we respond? A couple of ways to consider. Consider sending. I think Romans 10 talks about being a sender. And uh, pray for the nations, particularly unreached people groups. On my table, I've got a little thing that has some ideas. If you want to be engaged with praying for unreached people groups, some websites you can check out. Pray for a missionary you know. And this would be my challenge to you. If you currently do not yet have a missionary serving directly with unreached people groups, uh, I would encourage and challenge you to, to find a missionary that you can get on their prayer letter list. So you can hear, so it's not just God bless all the missionaries, but actually know what's happening and, and engage, become a partner in prayer for the work of God around the world. If you've already got that, thank you. Praise the Lord. Keep doing it. But if you don't have one yet, uh, Chris and I are available. <laughs> We'd love to have you join our prayer letter list. We've got a little sign-up sheet on, the, on, our, on our back table there. And we'll, about once a month, we'll send an update of what's going on and how you can pray specifically for the work of the Lord in Cambodia. And so, but I think every sincere believer should have at least, know at least one missionary that they are directly praying for with intelligence for the expansion of the kingdom. And then there are other ways to support the work through giving. I think PJ will be talking about that in a little bit. There's the other option. How can I respond? Well, there's the other option to consider going. And... Uh, not everyone is called to go, I understand that. But there are some of you, maybe God's been tugging at your heart, uh, particularly to, to go to the nations, the people and places where they never had an opportunity to hear. Um, that was birthed in Chris and my heart in our early 20s. But we have missionaries today that are going out in their 50s and using the skills that they have in life and going in different areas. If you're interested in exploring that, go to this website, calledtoserve.org. Don't go calledtoserve.com, that's the Mormons. calledtoserve.org is the one you want. And, uh, and that'll get you connected with some of the opportunities in the Alliance right now to consider and to pray over, both actually in the U.S. and internationally. And uh, what will happen, you go through about a five-minute spiel, you know, online, and then somebody will contact you probably within about a week or so. And it's not like you're making a commitment, but it's just like I'm going to begin exploring the possibilities. And so if there's something in your heart that's kind of been tugging at you, uh, whether you're a young person or an older person, um, yeah, it doesn't hurt to explore what God might have for you, particularly if you've got something in here that's kind of saying, hmm, Lord, are you calling me? It could be. It could be. Again, thank you for being a partner in Jesus' work. Uh, I always say, this isn't my work. It's not the Alliance Mission's work. It's Jesus' work. And as a partner church in the Alliance, it's actually all of our work together. As we have people that faithfully send, and as we have people who go. 
And uh, again, this church, I, I want to just give a call out. You guys know PJ and the missions team have been doing a, a bang-up job to keep missions before this church. We give glory to Jesus for uh, people who like her and her team that are trying to equip. And again, to call this church from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. May the Lord bless you as you continue to serve and follow him.